1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 110 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your normal host, Brad Rowland, but on today's podcast, you will not be hearing a whole lot from me uh, due to some technical difficulties uh, really on my end and some internet issues that I'm having. I'm traveling for my day job this week, and uh, could, could I, I basically tried to attempt a recording a couple times on Sunday, and then again on Monday, it just was not able to hold up. The internet was not able to hold up on my end, so having to see control of the podcast for uh, the first time, uh, I think, maybe ever, maybe at least since the opening days of the podcast when I was co-hosting with, with Carlos Colazzo But at any rate, you'll be hearing from Eric Cole of Talking Chop, as well as Grant McCullough, from 92.9 The Game on the podcast very shortly. Let me apologize for their audio quality as well. Those guys were uh, doing me a favor trying to record, so the quality is not quite up to our normal standard. I apologize for that, but the uh, content is very good, so hopefully you guys can brave this one-week sort of hiccup in the audio quality in favor of some good old-fashioned baseball talk. Those guys are very smart, so I encourage you guys to stick around as long as you possibly can on the podcast today. Uh, as for myself, I wanted to get one thing out there before I, turn, I hand the reins over to Eric, and that is the fact that I planned uh, and sort of bold and underlined and I outline to talk about Nick Markekis on this week's podcast. I sort of uh, kept away from that the last couple of weeks, uh, despite the fact that he's been he's been fantastic. It's one of those things where I've been very critical of Markekis and Brian Snicker as a result of that. I still think that he probably shouldn't be hitting cleanup. One of those things that we probably would have gotten into more had it been on the podcast – but Marquecas um, has been fantastic and I want to at least point that out on the show. There's nothing you could really ask for more from Marquecas to this point in time. So I when least say that, uh, be a mea, uh, little bit of a mea culpa for me through the first month of the season, I'm not expecting necessarily the slugging percentage to keep, to keep up uh, in the sort of 500 range, but uh, he's been fantastic. And that's worth pointing out as well as the fact that, uh, from the moment that I wrote about in the Arte and the fact that we talked about him extensively in the last couple of podcasts, he's really starting to heat up as well. So you can give me a lot of credit for that. If you'd like to do though, if you'd like to do so, uh, it's one of those things where. Uh, Sometimes timing is funny, and there's been a lot of that out there in the, uh, in the Twitter sphere. So, yes, you can definitely give me credit or blame for that. I will take all of it, and uh, here we are on the podcast. So, please uh, check, us, check us out. Please subscribe to the podcast. Do all that fun stuff. I'll be back next week, but until then, here is Eric and Grant.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host today, and I am not Brad Rowland. You may notice that... <laughs> you may notice that Brad Rowland is not here because I am Eric Hall, the deputy manager of Talking Chop as well as the minor league editor. Brad is currently in a on a work trip. What is currently going on is we tried to record this podcast last night and we were unable to we were unable to record basically because the internet was really spotty where Brad was located. So we tried to figure out exactly how to make this work and how we went about it was we just decided that I was going to record, um, and I'm actually having to record on my phone uh, with our special guest tonight. Uh, joining us is 99 The Games' own Grant Macaulay. Grant, how are you, my friend?
2: I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Let's see if we can make this thing work in uh, attempt number two. Yeah,
0: Grant's a saint, guys. I, I just want—I just want to point that out. He's—he's he's been doing everything he can to kind of help us through these technical issues. Uh, Brad the call kept dropping last night. We were trying to record a, you know, kind of a three-way podcast with Grant, myself and Brad. It just wasn't working like we were we Brad's the call kept dropping and, you know, there was weird audio things because of, you know, latency and, you know, wonky internet connections. So, we're making it work today. Uh, obviously, the audio is not going to be exactly what the what you guys are looking for for a lot of podcasts and we, I apologize in advance for that, but we're making it work today. And we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. Grant, um first of all, just kind of generally speaking, this Braves team is playing some really good baseball. They've won four or five. They're winning series, you know, left and right. They're one of the you know have the best run differential in the National League, or at least maybe they're off by a run by the end of the by the end of the month. And there's just a lot of teams, things to like about this team. Just your blanket thoughts about the first month of the season out of the Braves so far.
2: I think it's been it's tremendously refreshing. I guess would probably be one word for it. After you you know see the the uh general tone of a rebuild where you're either not starting the season out the way you want to, and maybe at, at some points you play pretty well, which I think the Braves have done the last couple of years, where they show those flashes of, Hey, this team might be all right. And then all of a sudden they kind of run into that, that losing streak that always seemed to find them by the time that you got into the dog days of summer, or by the time you got toward the, the end of the year, maybe they would you know find their bearings and seem like, Hey, you know, this team's going to go into the winter and, we're going to feel pretty good about where they might be at if they make this move or that move or if some of these kids come up. Now we're not really asking as many questions, especially about some of the younger players. Like, it's not a question of, of, you know, when. It's a question of if this guy comes up, what can he do? And we're finding that out in a number of different ways. We found it out last year without the Albies. We found it out with Ron Lacuna this year, which is super exciting. We found it out with some of the young pitchers. And we got more pitchers, I think, on the way, which, of course, we'll talk about Uh, throughout this podcast and then you start to think or start to see if you put a cast of characters around Freddie Freeman what can this team's offense become and I think the answer is pretty darn good so it's a lot of fun to watch this team and I think that that's something that people have always said you know you you want to win I mean there's no two ways about it fans want to see their baseball team winning many more games than they lose and you want to see them winning the games they're supposed to win but if that can't necessarily all come together at once, and you're kind of in this rebuild process, and you're you're waiting on, I guess, kind of the cake to bake, if you will. Um, I think it means a lot for people, or it takes a lot of the edge off, if it's a fun, competitive team with good storylines and good young players. And I think the Braves are giving them that so far this year.
0: Yeah, and I will say that this definitely feels more sustainable because you know when the Braves would get hot, you know, in, in the last year or two, it would be because you know Freddie Freeman was hitting the cover off the ball and he was basically the offense. You know, occasionally we would get streaks from you guys like Ender or Markakis, guys like that, uh, or Kurtz, you know, Kurt Suzuki, Tyler Flowers. You know, it would be like a, it would be a streaky thing, and then it would kind of we'd start losing more games again, and it was just really frustrating. It seems like night in, night out, even if a couple guys are having off nights. There are other guys who pick up the slack right away, especially on offense. And you know, the could yeah, starting- big change. Yeah, and it's 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 nice because you don't feel like Freddie Freeman has to be all world every night. You don't you want don't to feel like you know that you have two players that are going to have to carry the offense, or you know one pitcher that's going to have to throw seven innings of shutout ball to give the team a chance. It seems like that there's the team is winning in a lot of different ways. Uh, and when everything's clicking, it's like the starting pitching will go six or seven innings and give up one you know one or no runs, and the offense goes crazy. So it just feels like that this. Feels more like a winning team as opposed to last year, where you had to kind of so many things had to go right for you know for things to go well. Whereas this year, not everything has to go right because there's plenty of guys who are just going who are who can carry the load, I guess I should say. Um, obviously, the elephant in the room in this conversation, and this is actually going to be a fun conversation for Grant and I, is the arrival, arrival of Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, we were talking last night, uh, before the you know the technical issues we were having. Uh, Just, a, I think, a year and a day now, Grant and I, I, I appeared on Around the Big Leagues, uh, the podcast that Grant was doing with 92.9, and we were talking just generally prospects, but instead it kind of turned into, you know, for a, a good chunk of the show anyway, Ronald Acuna mania, <laughs> and it was a ton of fun where we kind of really started really kind of getting our hands on how good this guy could be, and, you know, going back and forth. So, obviously, this first week, he's been great. You know, he's batting over 400, has an OPS over 1200, has, you know, hit a tape measure home run, is getting d- doubles at a high clip, and is really showing off his speed as well. What, what's your impression from him from the first week?
2: Well, I think it's as advertised, and with room to grow, which is a scary thing for the rest of the National League, is that this is a kid that's flashed every bit of the potential and the talent that we were seeing in spring training, and now he's doing it in games that actually matter in the regular season. And I know that it wasn't everybody's favorite to see him down in the minor leagues for, for two, three weeks. And you're just kind of wondering, hey, what's going on here? When is he going to come up? What's he got left to prove in the minors? And the answer, of course, was nothing, really. But I do understand that once he got down there and, and the Braves were you know, working themselves through the option of that seventh year of service time, which we could argue about for the, the course of the podcast, and it'd be a waste of everyone's time. Right. But put it this way. That seventh year, I do think, has enough value to it that I understand why the club or any club is doing that with young players. And, of course, that's an industry thing. But once he got down there and really wasn't hitting, I can kind of understand the merits of, well, let's let him at least string together five or six or seven games or whatever it is to where he does seem like the at-bats are much more fluid, where he is kind of where he needs to be from both the physical and mental standpoint of, Hey, you know, let's get locked in. That was a word that Alex Anthopoulos used when we talked to him about it. Let's let's have this kid locked in when he comes up so that we're not putting him in a position to fail, basically, or to have a harder time getting, you know, up to the big leagues and getting himself acclimated because the talent's gonna speak for itself, but you do want to put your guys in position to succeed, and I think that's kind of a, the only question that was left. But now that he's here, I mean, you're seeing what he can do with the bat, you're seeing what he can do at the plate in terms of I think he's worked some really good at bats and yeah he's going to strike out a little bit but I like the in at bat adjustments that he can make I think he's mechanically sound physically he's a monster in terms of bat speed and raw power we're seeing some of that we're seeing the way he runs the bases we're seeing the way he plays the outfield and this is the kind of excitement that this kind of player brings and you throw him together with Ozzie Albies doing his thing and Dansby Swanson seems to be kind of back on the road that you would expect him to be on based on his pedigree and his talent, and you throw in Freddie Freeman, and we'll see what we're getting from guys like and Ciarte and Nick Markakis and others. Man, you've got an exciting team all of a sudden, and it's a team that Freddie Freeman's not having to carry the load, and it's a team that all the expectations aren't on Ronald Acuna. I think it's just a good balance across the, you know, the eight guys that are making up that lineup every day with whatever starting pitcher is out there, and that, I think, speaks as much to what the Braves are going to be able to accomplish this year as anything because it just manages that expectation on Acuna. Because if there's one thing that you know I got from Alex Anthopoulos before the spring even started was we're not looking for this kid to come in and save the season and save the team and have these unreal expectations. We want him to come in and get comfortable and be the player that he can be. And I think he's shown that over the first week. Put him in tandem or, or in the group with everyone else, he's going to make an impact. I
0: couldn't agree more he 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 there's definitely gonna be things that like will be head scratchers you know there'll be like little maybe little base running gas or you know at you know when he tries to especially when he tries to maybe steal a base that he shouldn't or you know swings at a pitch that kind of makes you cringe, but that's just. Part of being young and you know seeing major league pitching for the first time, what we're seeing is an impact bat that isn't just predicated on power, which I think is an important thing because he's got that in spades. We've seen that. You I mean you and I have been watching him for a long time now. He I mean he can hit tape measure home runs, but one of the things that he's also really good at is like it, it, the one thing he can really do is run when he's on the base pass. And if you know he hits a yeah. home run, and that's great but he can also hit a ball and there's been a couple of these already where you know it doesn't look like it's going to be extra bases but he's so fast and he is he runs like his hairs on fire so that he'll end up taking a double that shouldn't be a double and we've seen that on this Braves team. A bunch already. You know what I mean? We've seen that with Ozzy. We've seen that with Dansby. We've seen that with other players on the team. It's just really aggressive base running. And his Acuna's skill set is perfect for that because, you know, yeah, he'll hit, you know, tape measure shots or he'll hit the the doubles and triples that you you would expect to be doubles and triples, but he's also going to stretch a lot more, too. And that kind of just gives more value to his bat that even when he doesn't get a hold of one and, you know, puts up the big exit velocity numbers, he's going to still be able to make an impact on the game rather than just, you know, kind of being a guy who, like, you know, maybe just squeaked one through a hole because if you don't hurry and feel the ball that's just squeaked through the hole off of ron Cooney's back he'll take two from you
2: yeah no he'll he'll do all that and and kind of to go back to what you were talking about as far as like this time a year ago you know we sat down i want to say about oh probably 15 or 16 months ago when i was going through my first or, or maybe my second i think it was my second top prospects list that i was doing at the time and you know, Ron Lacuna was obviously comfortably on my list. I think I had him somewhere around, you know, I think it was 12. In fact, I'm sure it was because it was my list. And you came in and sat down, and we were going through uh, just kind of where my list was and kind of where the talking Chop list was and obviously throwing those against the backdrop of all the industry lists, so baseball Americas and you know, baseball perspectives and what have you, and just kind of getting an idea, in my L B whatever it was, kind of where our rankings were in relation to what what the, you know, the quote-unquote – industry uh guys were seeing and what we were seeing you're going to games and doing our own scouting and and that's kind of the fun of it but the ron lacuna question about a year ago was not how talented is this kid it's all right well let's see what he can do when healthy because he lost a big chunk of time in 2016 and you said without hesitation look you know we're way out in front here maybe we're over our skis you know, maybe we're too high on this kid, but when you see him, be special. And I was like, okay, I mean, I, I see that, and I appreciate that, but I'm, I just want to see a little bit more of the numbers and the results and the tangible stuff and what have you. Then he went to Florida, and it was about, what, seven, eight weeks of – and it's a pretty good player. I mean, he's starting to find himself, and he gets promoted to Mississippi. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I probably would have waited a little while, but, you know, I, I guess they feel like he's ready. And then he just, from there, just made everybody look silly and made everyone in the Braves' player development side last year look pretty smart. But uh, be that as it may, then I guess it was about a year ago at this time that we were sitting in and around the big leagues and talking about Ronald Acuna, not the question mark anymore of, you know, what could this kid be, but is what is this kid going to be? And that's where the Acuna Palooza term was born. Yes. Yes. And that, I think, is a very important genesis uh for a very important hashtag at least in my corner of Twitter. Oh well,
0: I've been pushing it too. It, it's just a it's just a fun thing to talk about because when you, I mean there's obviously top one hundred lists have been around for a long time. And there's not always the case where there's a guy who like in the, even in the top ten, there's guys that are gonna have impact and there's guys that have not been on top one hundred lists that end up being very, very very good baseball players. But yeah. when you when you talk to about Ronald Acuna, with scouts or with player development people or just people who are really intimately involved with the game, it's like they light up. It's like this is the guy they want to talk about, and that I means that, that was yeah. that, that was the same for you and I. It's you know this he is there's so many fun things about him and the sky's the limit for his potential. You know he can be he has the talent and the you know the ceiling to be the best player in Major League Baseball. Whether he gets there, that's a completely different question. You know there's a guy named Mike Trapp that has you know a pretty firm hold on that, and I don't think he's going to give it away. You know just no, because. He yeah, you know, it, but at the same time, this is th- he is that kind of talent. And that is a really fun thing to have in the Braves organization. And it's been really fun for, you know, Grant, myself, and, you know, the Talking Chop guys, and, you know, just to, just Braves fans in general just to be able to talk about and be excited about him. Now that he's here, he's, he's he's obviously had a great start, and hopefully he can continue it. Uh, that, that brings me to, we've actually kind of hinted at this a couple times already. On Sunday, the lineup comes out. And it's not like any lineup that we've, at least in my memory the last couple of years has really come out from brian snicker and instead of having ender at leadoff which you know i personally along with others have had taken issue with not because we hate ender or that we think he's bad just that you know there's some things about his batting profile that don't necessarily put you know make me super excited about him as a leadoff hitter and what we hadn't said was we had ozzy at leadoff then we had acuna then we had freeman those are you know debatably your three best hitters on the team right there at the top and then we have, you know, the pitcher batting 8th, and we have ender batting ninth. This definitely garnered a lot of attention because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a lineup that we've honestly kind of talked about in theory on other podcasts, but the idea that it's actually being practiced by the Braves is kind of shocking for us. Um, what, what, were, what are your thoughts about using this lineup going forward, and do you think that they are really going to be able to stick to it?
2: Yeah, I mean, a couple of things that, that jump out immediately to me in regards to this lineup is that, A, I do think it's something that they've been thinking about and have talked about for a while, perhaps even dating all the way back to the off season, but definitely back to the spring. And, B, I think that, you know, when you look at what was going on last year, and this is a piece of feedback that I have gotten, and, and trust me, like I get it, I, I spend time around this team and follow this team on a daily basis for a while, Um, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I think was a lot of the the look at the top of the order. But it's not always necessarily about, hey, well, this thing is broken. It's never going to be back to the way it needs to be. We need to make a drastic change, and it's somebody's fault, and this, that, and the other. I look at the lineup, and I've said this, and will continue to say this, as a fluid situation throughout the year, where there will be highs and lows for different players, and there may be guys who emerge that change your plan that has nothing to do with somebody else, you know, whether it's the leadoff guy or the cleanup hitter or the three-hole hitter or the five-hole guy, you know, it has nothing to do with them necessarily being bad and or worse options there. It has everything to do with evolving and trying to get your best and or hottest players at that time, you know, all the at-bats you can give them and all the, I guess, high leverage at-bats or all the, you know, situational at-bats you can give them to hit with runners on base and to give you the opportunity to score runs. The interesting thing about the Braves making this big change with their lineup was that, they're the top scoring team in the National League, right? So why are they changing the lineup? And and that's a that's a definite question. It it, it does bear some discussion, but I think as you looked at the top of the order, if you're just stacking guys by on base percentage, Ender Ciarte wasn't up there in the in the top two or three on the team. He was somewhere around six or seven. Now that had a little bit more to do with the slow start than anything, but he was starting to put things together. But I think that Ender is a guy that might have been you know wanting more from himself and thereby pressing in ways that you know may not have been demonstrated by having a 10-game hitting streak and racking up a bunch of hits. But the thing about those hits were they were all singles, which is, which is good. He's getting on. He's stealing bases, which makes a difference, of course. But he wasn't necessarily the same hitter that he was a year ago when he was batting 300 with a 200 hits and hitting some home runs and legging out some triples and some doubles and other things. So I think that once you start to stack him up, Against a guy like Ozzie Albies, who is profiled as a leadoff hitter throughout his you know, minor league career, he's hit a lot of leadoff, and a guy like Ron Acuna that needs to hit at the top of the order just based on the talent, and the ability, and so on and so forth, and then you have Freddie Freeman, that top three seems to have just evolved over time, and that's a good thing. Nobody should be upset about where some of these guys are hitting in the lineup exactly, because, look. Where have we been since 2015? We've had guys like Alberto Ciasco and Eric Young Jr. and Cameron Maben and Kelly Johnson and, you know, a slew of names. If you look at at Jace Peterson and you're just like, oh, well, yeah, I guess we're going to get there eventually. And this so, is the kind so, of who we have. Some, some of those laps are they cringeworthy. On, <laughs> they definitely are. But now who they have on hand You have more talent, which makes the questions and the stacking of the lineup and and some of the decisions much more interesting and and much less of something to be upset about. It's like, I don't understand why, and I'm not picking on him, but I don't understand why Jace Peterson's still hitting at the top of the order, the kid's two for his last 30, what's the deal? You're not looking at that stuff anymore. Now you're looking at, hey – Ender's not quite where he was last year, but gosh, Albies is really hot, and now we've got Acuna, and we want to get those guys in front of Freddie. And if anything, to go back to your question to make a long story short, although we can continue to talk about it, sure, I like Ender in the ninth spot, at least for a while, to see how it works when you start to turn the lineup over at the bottom because you still get to have Ender and Ciarte hitting in front of Albies, in front of Acuna, and in front of Freeman. And if he does get back to where he was last year and and you know is, is a guy that's going to rack up a lot of base hits and – certainly going to steal some bases and whatnot. The bases shouldn't be clogged in front of him if he's batting behind the pitcher, number one, so it really shouldn't affect his steals as adversely as some people are looking at. And number two, that's still a dynamic few hitters to have batting in front of Freddie Freeman, and that's, I think, what you want. So it may take an at-bat or two away from Ender Enziarte per week or a little bit more, I don't know. It kind of depends. We'll have to see how the numbers bear out and how long he stays there. But I like that idea of, at least trying something that, you know, analytically or, or whatever you want to say has a little bit more merits to the cast of characters you have. Because that's the other thing that I will say. You have to have the right players in order for this kind of thing to work. 100%. And I think the Braves may have the right players for it.
0: Yep, it's, it's, it's a unique lineup. And I don't think it's going to hurt Ender. That's kind of the thing that. I mean because I think you kind of hit on it. I think that the what he wants to do on the base paths and kind of setting up even chances later on in games where there might be more runners on base for Freddie, you know it it sets up well, you know and it kind of creates an interesting dynamic in the lineup, especially when you don't necessarily have you know those like th- those four five and six hitters, you know maybe they're not the quintessential. I guess the the heart of the order power hitters that we're kind of used to in traditional looking at looking at lineup. We don't necessarily have those guys. I say that, but Kurt Suzuki's kind of acting like a traditional p- cleanup hitter lately, and we can make, maybe we can touch on what he's been able to do this year, which has been kind of wild uh, a little later. But you know, it's just a nice lengthening of the lineup that just allows them to produce top to bottom, and you know, it's entirely possible that Ender's numbers will be comparable to, if not better than, last year. Uh, and I'm hopeful that they are because again, I like Ender. You know, I and mean, he's a you know a terrific center fielder. He's not the he's not a perfect hitter. I don't think anyone makes that argument. But that doesn't
2: mean he doesn't think have a. Too many guys in baseball aren't. to be honest. Exactly. Uh, and, and I, yeah, I think exactly. that's kind of where people are getting people are getting lost in the weeds on this argument is that just because you move somebody, you know, Ender Inciarte was not just named the ninth best hitter on this team because he moved to the ninth spot in the year. That's yeah. not the point. Absolutely. You have to look. This this is more of. It's the difference between chess and checkers is, is what you hope. You want your manager to be playing, you know, the game that is the highest level, the highest form. Now, sometimes your hands are tied. The towel is what it is. You're just trying to make it happen. Some guys are hurt, you know, whatever it is. You just have to make some very rudimentary changes. This is something that's steeped, obviously, in a lot more of a thought process and, and a lot more, I don't know if experimental is the word, because other teams obviously do it. And the Braves have even played with hitting the pitcher eighth before. Right. They did it a couple of years ago quite a bit. But, this is on, more man. of a move yeah. That, that's, I think, lined up to, again, to get these hitters, to give your best hitters, you hope, you know, the guys that you really look at and say talent-wise, who would be the Braves, you know, three best hitters? If you, Freddie Freeman's obviously taking one of those spots. If Ronald Lacuna's not on that list, you've got a problem. And if you're not looking at what Ozzy Albies is doing, then you're not paying attention to the guy who's really kind of, come in and, and been so darn good that we're not having to sit here and talk about Freddie Freeman every single night. And that's pretty, pretty refreshing. So it's more about trying to stack those guys to the top, but knowing, as you said, Ender Inciarte is going to make important contributions to this team. So I think people need to kind of step outside of the, well, it's a demotion kind of look at it and, and look at it as more of if this team wins and Endurance is playing well and doing his thing, And number one, the team's going to be pretty happy. And number two, I would think that Ender and Ciarte is going to be pretty happy with it. But as I said, it's a fluid situation. This kind of thing could change. Somebody could roll their ankle tomorrow and the lineup could change. So you never know.
0: Absolutely. 100% agree. And I I think your point about what, what Ender thinks about it, I think that as long as Ender is being able to contribute and doing the things that he wants to do on the baseball field, I'm not sure if he... He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that cares if he's batting first or ninth. As long as it's doing, you know, doing the right thing and helping the team win, then he's going to do it. You know what I mean? He doesn't seem like he's caught yeah. up in his own ego in terms of like, I'm a, I'm a leadoff hitter. You know, if, if he's still producing the way he would be in the lead, you know, in the leadoff spot and, you know, maybe getting, getting the team gets extra value from that. I think he'd be all for it.
2: Yeah. Now, and I think that the thing with endurance too is that, and, and we can obviously move, move past that, but I think he is the kind of teammate that you want. And yep. And to your point, I think that his understanding of the, the larger picture is obviously going to be helpful in this particular uh, scenario, because look, I mean, if he was out there hitting 350 and, and, and was the player he was last year, I don't know that they would have moved him out of the leadoff spot in the order, because then you really would have been able to say, it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Right. You know, it, It's fine, but things have changed and things have evolved. And I think that as they do, and as he evolves with them, I think you'll find that Ender is going to have plenty of opportunities to be a useful player for the Atlanta Braves, regardless of whether he's hitting the 1st, 7th, ninth, or anywhere in between those.
0: Good. 100% agree, sir. Um, so, to continue the fun talk about the offense uh, in particular. Um, so, Ozzie Albies. <laughs> We've you and I have talked about Ozzy a good bit over yeah, that. He that. Yeah, he's he, he he he's very good at baseball. Uh, I think we all thought he was going to be good a good hitter. I don't think any of us expected him to be tied for the the National League home run league at the end of April with nine home runs in the month of April. I'm you know, I wish I could tell. I mean, yeah, there, there was look. We, all of us have said you know he's he definitely has you know some pop in his bat and you know he's and he's strong but at the end of the day we are talking about a guy who's you know 5 foot 9 maybe maybe <laughs> and you know right. not 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 a big guy and he's just he's hitting home runs from both sides of the plate and he's just turning on fastballs ambushing pitchers h- hitting balls out in conditions where he shouldn't be able to hit home runs out i i don't what do you what do you make of it i don't i'm kind of at a loss almost
2: well, I think the big thing is that this is a kid that's continued to work very hard, and mechanically, he was a little bit out of sync in 2017, especially early on, right. and a little bit, I think, in, in 2016, and obviously that whole elbow thing didn't help out at the end of that year. But Ozzie is a guy that he's a tremendously hard worker, and he's a student of the game, and he's coachable. And those are all things that you want from a young player, especially with his level of talent, and that's why I think that he's found himself in this place that he's in. It's kind of a perfect storm almost where you know he's well, let me say this and I'm not trying to put a disclaimer on what he's done here but he is producing at a rate in which no player named Trout or Ruth or anybody else would be able to put up these kind of numbers over the course of a season I think everybody can appreciate that but what he's doing right now and the way that he's doing it makes you pretty feel pretty good and feel pretty confident about his ability to be a producer a run producer and a table setter and both really at the top of that Braves order, and that's really, I think, the indication that you wanted to get was, is this guy ready to hit toward the top of the order? Is he ready to make an impact, and, and how does he carry himself? And the answer to all those questions is yes, 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 and just fine. So <laughs> he's he's tremendous, and, and you know, I, I don't know that there's one secret to his success. I think that he has got his swing exactly where he wants it. Obviously, he's one of those guys that generates a, a great amount of power uh, through the lift in his swing, I think that there's not a hitter in baseball that hasn't had at least some discussion, rudimentary or otherwise, about you know getting their swing and the launch angle set the way that they want it. I've heard it around the batting cage with the Braves. I've talked to different people around the team. I mean, it's, it's discussions that goes on. That's part of the game now. It doesn't mean that that's all they're thinking about, but everyone's aware of ways to you know maximize the lift in their swing and maximize their power, and I think Ozzy Albies is a perfect example of that because when you look at him, Walking down the street, you wouldn't think about it, but when you see that swing, you know that this is a kid that needs business. So it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch, and I don't think anybody could have seen this coming. I, I think that it'd be kind of kind of crazy to expect him to do this month after month after month, but at the end of the year, I think this kid's going to put up some pretty good numbers.
0: Couldn't agree more. The only thing that concerns me, and I and I use the, con- the term concern very loosely here, because this is. I mean, you had a tweet go out earlier today that went all basically viral, is that Ozzy Albee should probably be the National League Player of the Month based on the numbers he's put up, just in terms of power production, hits, on base percentage, basically whatever you want, whatever you want to put on what Ozzy's been doing. He's, you know, he's a guy to talk about. Um, and he and he probably should win the award. My only concern, a little bit, is just in terms of like the overall like batting average against lefties, uh, because. If you ask me, when when you hear Chipper Jones talk about Ozzy, or you know other coaches talk about Ozzy, the the side that he works on has to work on the most with his swing is a swing from the left side, and that's and he's going to be going against right. a lot, and he's going to be going against a lot of righties this year. Now, all of that said, he, the power has been completely fine from the left side. He's you know the power production's there, and he's drawing he's drawing walks at a good rate. You know you just have to hope that he continues to make adjustments against righties and continues to work on that swing, so that he's not only getting power production from the left side no at times you know you want to make sure he still has that that contact oriented approach when worse comes to worse and he has to you know shorten up and all that other stuff but that's that that is the definition of nitpicking because overall Ozzy's been amazing and he's been well, what are,
2: what are we what are we looking at here just so I understand kind of kind of where you where you're looking at what the what the concern would be with Ozzy hitting from the right side or hitting from the left side
0: hitting from the left side against righties
2: Hitting, yeah, hitting from the left side against righties is where he does the majority of his cage work. I was just making sure I understood that right before yeah. I, I jumped in and you know looked at the wrong split or something. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this is the guy that when you talk, and, and you Camargo is the same way, and it, that may be a name that comes up much on this podcast or, or comes up on some other ones. But Camargo and Albies, both from the right side, they wear out lefties. They're natural right-hand hitters, yep. and they're guys that have worked their way over because every switch hitter starts with some degree of, of natural progression from one side to the other, but they have the talent to hit from both sides. And and that goes for any switch hitter from Ozzy Albies to, to Hall of Famers. It doesn't matter. You have one side that you kinda of start on and that's where you build your base and then you kinda of work the other one up from there. And keeping in mind, I mean this is the guy that just turned twenty one, so it's not like he's been switch hitting for fifteen years when exactly. I find my here. <laughs> so it it is a work in progress. I, I think the biggest thing I, I've looked at for Ozzy more than anything is from that left side is where he's going to get the majority of his at-bats, and that is where he does most of his work in the cage on the field. And when he takes all of his rounds, he does them all left-handed until, I think, the last one or two, and then he jumps in and and gets his right-handed swing. So, that, I think, is is something to to continue to keep an eye on, because as we're sitting here with April in the books and heading into the month of May, obviously, all these composite numbers look great. But if I told you that this guy's batting 500 against lefties, you would certainly be excited, but tempering that on the other side with he's batting under 240 yep. against right hand pitchers he's slugging 500 so that obviously covers up a lot of that he's not striking out at an alarming rate or anything of that nature but he's striking out a little bit here and there but it's again I think that that's to your point he has to continue to work because even though these numbers are there and they look fantastic he's not a finished product yet either which is both exciting and and also tempers the expectations a little bit to let you know that you know, while the talent is there and while it is producing, he has to continue to evolve because baseball—if you don't adjust and the league adjusts to you—you you can end up in a bad place in a hurry. And I don't think Ozzy Albies is one of those guys.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. One last thing before, like, people start going doom and gloom on Ozzy—you know, against righties <laughs> as a left-handed hitter—and
2: please and, please, and please don't. Please, yeah, he's uh, done just fine. Yeah, he's, just, you know—it's a long season
0: exactly you know we are talking about a, still a small sample size here also batting average on balls and play from the left um uh as a left as a left-handed hitter 258 260 yeah, yeah that you you definitely think that that will come up especially with mean ozzy's not mean i know what his numbers look like but ozzy's trademark tools are speed and contact oriented and you know a lot of that stuff is going to work you know work itself out and a speedy yeah, guy like that you're not he's not going to be yeah. betting 260 on balls in play uh yeah. <laughs> for long so um well, I just want to touch on this really quick. Um, obviously, Kurt Suzuki has been very, very good as a backstop for the Braves, and Tyler Flowers has now returned. My question to you, sir, and we, we don't have to dwell on this for too long— given how well Kurt Suzuki has been doing in the lineup in terms of power production, just, you know, big clutch hits. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things to really like about, you know, in terms of how he calls games. Uh, Is he a perfect defensive catcher? No, but I mean the the perfect offensive and defensive catchers in major league baseball, it's an extremely short list if they exist at all. My question to you is now that Tyler Flowers is back, what do you expect in terms of the timeshare between those two players to be?
2: What we saw last year. And, and I think that from talking with Kurt, a little bit, and, and I talked to, to Tyler uh, probably a little bit more. So, um, but both of them over the last year and a half that they've they kind of known each other, as far as being you know the in tandem behind the plate there, it it works so well because they don't have one of them that's having to do a lot of the, it's having to do two thirds of the work. Now, obviously, it's nice when Tyler's hurt for a month to have a Kurt Suzuki to lean on and have him do what he did. But I think over the course of a long season. You know, both of them have said it allows me to stay a little bit more fresh. It allows me to know that, you know, this staff is in good hands because of who your partner is there and who who the guy is that's going to go in for you. And it, 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 I think, it's just a great partnership and it's one that kind of came together organically because you went out and got a couple of veteran guys that had been, uh, well, in the case of Kurt Suzuki, he'd been an everyday catcher for a long time, and Tyler Flowers had been a pretty regular catcher for the Chicago White Sox for a number of years, but. You know, when you put the two of them together and then offensively looked at what they did for the Braves the last couple of years, I mean, this is a group. If you put Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki, the Braves catchers together last year, they had the highest wins above replacement of any position that the Braves had out there, and that includes first base because obviously Freddie Freeman got hurt. But the most valuable position for the 2017 Braves on the diamond was catcher. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. I mean, you knew they were good, but you didn't know how good they were. And I think the value of both of them goes far beyond what they do at the plate, especially when you talk about Flowers, because his ability to steal strikes and frame pitches is invaluable. If you ever get a chance to talk to Tyler Flowers about baseball, this is a guy that it just, he has a fascinating mind for it. He just goes through this information and parses through you know, his job as a catcher as well or better than anybody I've ever heard talk about that position and those duties. And I'm not talking about just Just pitch framing or just pitch selection, but everything that comes with it in terms of trying to think along and against a hitter, you know the game planning, all the meticulous work that goes into it, and I think that's what makes them so good. So having Tyler back is a good thing. Um, You know, Kurt's going to be a guy that he has surprising power, and that's been something that's certainly been uh, refreshing and and eye-opening and unexpected, and all those other things. But I don't think he's necessarily a guy that you want to wear out either. And it's good to have the two of them together. So I expect to see him split that time and I expect to see Tyler's presence behind the plate be extremely valuable for Braves pitchers. And the same thing for Kurt Suzuki. I just think Tyler does things a little bit better in the nuance department, especially the pitch framing department, than just about anybody. And, and that is a valuable skill, and that, in addition to the game planning and all the other things that come with it, is superbly important. And that's what makes them so good is the fact that they're both there together for you to choose which one you want to go with on a given day. So that's kind of how I expect it to go uh, with more of a 50-50 split between those two guys.
0: Well, that leads into this next part in a a good way, and that is the starting rotation. I would say that their performance has been, you know, above average to good. There's, There's definitely been times where, you know, there's been, you know, starts where things have gone off the rails for various reasons, but for the most part, you know, other than some you know some walk issues and you know maybe not going into deep enough into games that you would like, this rotation has performed pretty well. But you know, just in the last you know week or two, we've had you know Anibal Sanchez go down with an injury that looked really scary, but as it turned out, you know, it wasn't nearly as bad as they you know it, it kind of looked when he was kind of like a non-contact you know grabs his leg and immediately collapses type injury, but it turned out to just be a an hamstring. And then we have Julio Tehran have to leave his start early because his shoulder is really tight. Matt Whistler's always been been set back down after a really good start, followed by one where he was kind of lucky to get out more unscathed than he was
2: uh, you, you think you, you, Yeah, you, well I also, I also think if you make a tag at a plate, maybe Matt Whistler's out of that without them starting looking nearly as bad well before, that so, yeah. that
0: that is perf- that, that is a perfectly reasonable point uh you won't you will see few yeah. tags at the plate that were worse than the ones that Carlos Perez tried to apply <laughs> um unfortunately
2: but, yeah
0: yeah, but you know but was but obviously but Whistler was definitely not. The, the, was not the same pitcher in that outing either. You know, it wasn't really striking out guys. wasn't missing pit bats. No, 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 no. He did, but he he was not given he was not given any favors by his defense to be sure. Um, my question is, Luis Gohara obviously isn't ready yet. You know, command isn't there. You know, has kind of struggled in his rehab outing, especially in Gwinnett. At Gwinnett. And Mike Soroka is lurking right there at Gwinnett, and we kind of thought that there was a good chance that he might get called up this week. Uh, assuming, you know, depending on what happened with Julio Tehran's bullpens. And as of 7.43 this evening on, Mon- uh, on Monday, he hasn't been been called up uh, officially to, you know, take anyone's you know spot to to make a start here and there if anyone's m- to miss any time. My question is, how how long, in terms of Louise and for Sirocco, how long do you think we're going to have to wait?
2: Well, I think it has a lot to do with where the brace rotation is in terms of health, and that's obviously a big question. lurking or looming or big question mark just hanging out over the rotation is if Julio Tehran goes down for any length of time, what does that do to this rotation? And the question or the answer to that is, in my opinion, and and maybe some other people don't think this, but I think it has the tendency or the possibility of destabilizing the rotation because I know Julio has been a mercurial performer the last couple of years, but a healthy and effective Julio Tehran, especially a healthy one who has a chance to be effective, makes this rotation better and that certainly could be an issue. Now, the, the plus side of that is you've had guys, for the most part, I'm talking about you know McCarthy and fulton and Newcomb and, and these guys that have come in and done pretty well. I mean, I, I know that you want to see these guys getting into you know the, the middle to latter innings with a little lower pitch count and taking you, you know so that your bullpen doesn't have to get 8 to 10 to 12 outs every night. You don't want that. Um, but I also look at the month of April as the month where, hey, if it's going to happen early on, I kind of expect April to be the month where maybe you got to lean a little bit more on the bullpen than you normally would just as you get your starters up to that 25 and 30 and 35 inning limit where maybe they really feel like it's not spring training anymore. It's not, hey, I'm going to go out and work on my changeup and throw 75 pitches and feel pretty good about where I am and then see where I'm at in five days. And, And obviously do your work on the side. This is much more game planning, you know, advancing and going to work and, and trying to get to the results that you need every fifth day if you're a starting pitcher. And that, that's where I think that the month of April is still an important transitional month from spring training into the regular season, whether people like that and believe that or whatever, it's just kind of the way I view it. And, you know, I haven't thrown an inning in the major leagues and I haven't been given the ball every fifth day, so maybe I don't know exactly how it feels, but I just this kind of the philosophy that I have with it is that early on? is the time where maybe your starters aren't quite ready to go seven, eight, nine innings each time out. And complete games have apparently been outlawed by modern day baseball. You, you, so yeah, I don't know kind if are going to see another it's, one
0: of those. Well, that's kind of wild. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, being, I mean, there's been some teams uh, looking at you, Gabe Kepler, that have kind of taken this to the extreme where, you know, that third uh, look time through the playoffs. Yeah, the third time through the lineup. And, and just that's, that, that was a little Rusa thing, too. He was just constantly yeah. changing relievers. Yeah, um,
2: and, and but that's the, the playoffs is the big thing where I think that now because the playoffs is what it's the national stage, it's in the consciousness of of everybody because in the playoffs you catch not only the the hardcore baseball fan of a given team but now you're seeing everybody in baseball that is a, obviously is a fan plus the fringe fans are seeing well, this is the playoffs, this is the National League Championship Series, the American League Championship Series, this is the World Series. What are we doing? Well, we're having our starting pitcher throw four innings and 65 pitches because statistically, the third time through the order, he can't do this, that, and the other anymore. And, you know, I'm kind of torn on it. Like, I get it for all the smart that it is and then all all of the, you know, the, the analytics and the data that goes with it that makes sense. I also look at it and say, I think we're almost micromanaging to some extent with some of the guys that we're talking about. Now, now some of them, when you're talking about your fourth or fifth starter, if that's who's out there, maybe you don't want to, you know, expose them a third or fourth time through the order, but asking your bullpen to cover four and five innings every night for 162 games is a practical impossibility. It's not going to work, so you can't manage it that way. And I think that's what Gabe Kapler learned beginning in the first series of the year, that hey, maybe I don't need to use eight relievers a night because this is not going to work. I don't care if you've got a, a ferry or a shuttle set up that's taking players to and from your AAA affiliate. You can't do that. So that's, that's where I think, to, to get back to your question about the Braves, it's, the bullpen's been asked to do a lot. It hasn't necessarily performed in a walks department, which I think is something that will normalize. But the starting rotation has been adequate. And, but without a Julio Tehran, if you've got a Mike Sirocco around, It's very exciting, and I think that's a possibility that could happen sooner than later. I've always felt, just going back from the spring, that they didn't really feel like this was a kid that needed a ton more minor league seasoning because he's so smart. So maybe this is a guy that we're going to see sooner than later, and if we do, then this may be one of those guys that we don't see going back down and coming back up and going back down and coming back up too often. Even if he has to make a couple spot starts here with Julio on the DL, I think once Mike Soroka gets up, there's a very good chance that he'd be there to stay.
0: Yeah, I I think that, you know, it's entirely possible that this first stint, if if it were to happen, because as of now, and again, I am kind of keep checking Twitter just to make sure nothing is broken, uh, but it it does not appear as of right now that, I mean, the bullpen session yesterday, the Braves have said that Tehran felt fine and he was good to go and he wasn't going to have to miss his start, but if Sor- Soroka's first stint could very well just be a couple of starts while... Tehran would get healthy. Um, I don't think it's going to be for Anibal Sanchez. It seems like the indications, at least that I'm aware of, is that Anibal should be good to go for his start this weekend. Um, but I don't. I think that by June, that somehow in some way, and again, I'm th- what happens in terms of you know pitchers' health, you know, there's a reason why a lot of teams value pitching so highly is because it's a very volatile commodity, and largely it's because of injuries. Um, it's, you know, arms go out, injuries happen, and then you have to have someone to slot in. And I think at some point by June, we are going to see Mike Soroka in this rotation because I don't know how much you've seen him at Gwinnett, but he's making Triple A look easy. You know, it's right. the, even the hits he's given up, they're all infield singles because, you know, the infield defense on, you know, down there at Gwinnett isn't exactly what I would call exciting, but you know, it's, and he's just, he works quickly. He doesn't seem phased by anything. And, you know, again, we could very well see him this week. I I don't have any new or exciting information on in that regard. But at the same time, you know, there's enough whispers floating around that at the very least the possibility is still there. Um, but even if it doesn't happen this week, I don't think we're going to have to wait very long for him because he's really exciting. Gohara, that becomes an interesting question because, you know, Anibal Sanchez was pitching pretty well before he went into the on the disabled list. And, you know, what the Braves do with that other rotation spot – uh, especially with Soroka lurking, is going to be kind of an interesting thing to watch because Gohara is another big yeah. one.
2: I'll say this though: if the question becomes Gohara or Anibal Sanchez in rotation, I think that the answer is going to be Luis Gohara. Um, but I, but I also think since he got optioned down to the minor leagues, that they're going to give him at least a couple of three more turns to just kind of get the rust knocked off. Because Anibal Sanchez, the guy, has been around long enough that at some point in his career there may not be a starting spot that's always, you know, there for him. But I do think he's a guy that is, as you look down in the bullpen and you think, man, well, who could come out and cover two or three innings today? If somebody can't go to the post and gets knocked out after two and a third, that's your guy. I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that Max freed is that guy, but maybe he is, you know, and it, that's an opportunity for a young, you know, starting pitcher by trade to maybe cut his teeth in the big leagues and, Become a have a useful role until which time he could maybe find a spot in rotation because, look, it's a numbers game like anything else. There's five starters. There's five starting spots. And, you know, you've got a, a slew of starting pitching prospects that have already come up, guys that are knocking on the door. You've got some veterans who are already here. And you've got the possibility of trades and free agents and other things that can shape this rotation. And the fact that, you know, and Braves fans may not be totally comfortable with this thought just yet, but I think we're all pretty well aware that at some point you're going to start flipping the things that you have the most of for things that you don't have. And that of course is what Alex Antopoulos will be charged with is taking the assets in house and turning them into the things that you need to complete the 25 man roster at the big league level. And, and Alex has said this, you know, I think time and again, since he came in and, and time and again to me personally is, you know, the big league club is the focus for him. Love having this minor league talent. Want to continue to have this minor league talent want to keep the right guys, and want to trade trade guys that will bring in the things that we don't have. And that's just part of the deal. And I think that's something that's going to start becoming a reality, maybe this summer, maybe in the winter, and then maybe over the next 18 months, we'll start seeing those kinds of deals take place.
0: One last thing, Grant, before I let you go, because um, so, you can get get on with your evening. The bullpen has been, it's been kind of rough. Um, now, some of it is... Seems like it's a, a small sample size, you know, kind of aberration, especially when some of the guys you're talking about haven't necessarily had this issue, but the walks have been pretty concerning, and they have made uh, several games much more interesting than they probably should have been, uh, if we're just being honest about it. Now, I'm not counting the game in Chicago where they're basically playing in a blizzard uh, because that game was just kind of a – shouldn't have happened and was a dumpster fire to begin with, but yeah, what, what do you think about the bullpen going forward and who are the guys you really like and – do you kind of see this this sort of this control- this command and control issue that the bullpen seems to have is kind of working itself out
2: I think it's going to work itself out it actually it's an amalgamation of all those things number one, I do think that this rate stat is something that will normalize because when you're talking about some of the pitchers that we're looking at here with these walk issues, they have never been this pronounced before, and I don't know what the reasoning is for it or why it's you know playing out the way it's been playing, but you know there are guys in that bullpen that I look at and think you know, the stuff's too good and you just gotta come in and throw strikes and that's easy to say, but for some reason it's just not happening right now. But again, I kinda chalk it up to it's a long season. Even pitchers have to make these adjustments and, and do things and, you know, it may have a lot to do with how hitters are currently approaching the Braves bullpen because they're not necessarily trying to be over aggressive because what's been going on. Well, you might get a free pass. So that may be changing the approach against them and which may just be applying a little bit more and more and more pressure But for the most part, I think it started to get a little bit better over the last week or two. I know the walks are still there. Look, these guys are going to walk hitters. It's going to happen. But walking hitters at a rate of 6.5 to 8 to 9 per 9 innings is something that you can't have. You know, a walk per inning is not going to work. I mean, you cannot come into high-level situations and give away free passes. We've seen what's happened in some of these cases. And I think, in some extent, for, to some extent, at least in the first two or three weeks, you might have kind of gotten away with it a little bit more than you did in the in the games and weeks that followed. But you know, guy like AJ Minter, who I think has walked ten guys in twelve innings or ten guys in eleven innings, that to me is a little bit out of character for him. Even though he does issue a, a free pass here or there in the course of his minor league career, he also doesn't give up base hits, which helps. Not everybody has been lucky enough to walk a couple of guys and not give up base hits. And that's kind of been the problem for a guy like Jose Ramirez, who coming into the year, he was supposed to be a useful piece. Sam Freeman, obviously, was a guy that they leaned on heavily last year and brought back. And, you know, I think that he was kind of a victim of just being overused a little bit because he had been so dependable. And he was kind of that rubber arm guy that, hey, well, we don't have much time, get somebody up. Who's got to get up? Well, it's got to be Sam Freeman. And so I think that and then a little bit of control, you know, spottiness and whatnot, I think he just kind of snowballed on some of these guys. But on the plus side, what we've seen from Shane Carl has been pretty unbelievable over the first month. And right behind him, Dan Winkler has been tremendous as well. And that's the guy that I think you start to look at and say, hey, I need a couple of strikeouts. Who have I got to go get? Well, I think Dan Winkler's your guy right now uh, amongst the guys who are not your closer. But if you need a strikeout to get out of the seventh or eighth inning, that may be the guy that you're starting to look at more and more and more. And I think that's nothing but a good thing in terms of the depth on the team, because when things do normalize for some of these other guys, and when you do maybe get another piece or two that's not there right now and get them locked in there, um, you know, everybody's going to start to settle into their roles. Uh, You know, Peter Moylan's a guy that I don't think has ever had that kind of control issues that that he's showing this year in terms of the walks. It's just, everybody's got an abnormally high walk rate. And it's just extremely strange. And it's, I think mean, maybe just one of the stats over the course of the season that it's got to work itself out. But arm talent-wise, and I've said this in my recent Q&A you know, that I did on, uh, on 9690game.com, I think the arm talent is there, but the adjustments obviously have to be made in order for this group to have success. And like anything else, if the Braves are hanging around in position to, to make a little bit of noise in June and July, I'm sure that Alex Antopoulos will start looking across the league to see if he can find the bullpen help that he needs.
0: Grant, you are a scholar and a gentleman for helping us out uh, and making this work, uh, te- you know, technologically speaking. We've, we've dealt with a lot of different fixes and issues, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight. Uh, you're always a pleasure talking to you. You're one of my best buddies in, in baseball. Uh, if you have anything going on you want to plug, plug it now, buddy.
2: Yeah, and no, the big thing I'm doing right now is uh, 9290game.com. We just relaunched our website a few months ago. It's kind of been a slow build and a slow burn to, to kind of get it back up to spec and, and get it running and get it all you know squared away in Google and all that fun stuff. But uh, putting all my content there right now that includes prospect profiles, Q&As, articles, features, all kinds of stuff in terms of the written. Um, working through a few things, trying to get the the podcast thing figured out. I'm hoping that at some point this summer I'll be able to – relaunch that and and get some uh some good content audio content coming again and even some video stuff we've got maybe in the works as well so I got a few projects that are burning but it just kind of depends on some things that are out of my control right now but you know it's always a pleasure to come on and chat with you guys and you know and and just jump into this whole thing and you know just kind of enjoy some of these storylines right now because the news and and the the happenings this year a little bit more fun than they've been the last few years so uh, certainly a good time to talk to to you guys about it, and, and obviously we talk on a pretty regular basis. So anytime I get a chance to, to chat Braves with you, Eric, I really appreciate it. So thanks for having me.
0: It's always a blast, man. Uh, we, I'm, the, thing, the funny thing is there, there are so many other things we could have talked about um if you want to find out more inf- you know more information and more content about the Braves make sure you go to talkingtrop.com uh for example we could have spent a good bit of time talking about Nick Markakis fortunately Scott Coleman had an article go up about his hot start to the season there for yeah, example real good uh, stuff. yeah it's just you know the it's we the the staff at talking Chop has really kind of over the last three years, they've always been great, but this year they've really stepped up, and we're covering we're covering the majors and the minor leagues. And it kind of helps that there's a lot more exciting things to talk about with the Braves this year, as opposed to talking about how bad as X, Y, or Z has been. Uh, so there's a lot of really interesting things to talk about. Why guys are succeeding, and you know what what we can kind of expect going forward. All that content, um, you know, whether it, whether it be from minor league or major league recaps, where you just want to know what happened the night before, to more advanced kind of analysis. All of it's there, so make sure you go take a look at it. If you're if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, first time, make sure you subscribe to it on iTunes. Leave five star reviews. Those really help the podcast grow and to make sure that they can spreads and gets out word out to more people. Uh, make sure you follow Grant on on Twitter. Uh, he he's a great great Twitter follow, uh, and you know obviously I he, I think that all of us are kind of benefiting a little bit from people actually being excited about the Braves because you know it makes us want to generate more content more when actually people are engaging with us. So make sure you and you follow him on Twitter. I think we've covered everything we needed we t- we need to talk about tonight, Grant. Again, really appreciate you coming out. Brad should be back next week. Uh, you won't have to deal with me as the uh, as your host for just except for this week. <laughs> but make sure whatever you do, I have sources on this that Brad said that. Ozzie Albies needs to be traded by the Braves because he's at peak value right now. And you guys know the drill. Right? A with this. <laughs> so make sure that you tweet your responses to this thought to Brad at BT Roland, uh, who is also the regular podcast host. And you should definitely follow him for other reasons other than this. But your first tweet, once you follow him, you should be asking him why the Braves should trade Ozzie Albies. I would greatly appreciate it, and I might expect some angry DMs over the next week. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. We really appreciate you. And until next time, we'll see you. you mm-hmm.